Thanks, gang. You like my coffee cup? Yeah. I told Cheryl I feel like Blake Shelton up here on The Voice. I promise it's water, y'all. So, somebody appreciated that out there. <laughs> you ready for the word? Yeah. Off to the races we go. Reagan prayed for you guys on the way in. I asked her to pray, pray over the service and, and you guys. Is she in here? She'll be embarrassed. Where you at, Ray? She's in nursery? Perfect. She'll be embarrassed next service. Um, and this is what she prayed. Father, help dad preach good and, and help them receive like they should. Amen? Yeah, amen. That was, that, was, that was good enough in my book too. So we'll jump right in. Listen, if you missed last week, it is worth your time. Um, so go online, listen to it. We're talking about the heart um, and God knowing the heart, God looking at the heart, and this is part two. So you won't be completely lost because I'm about to summarize the message in under two minutes. You guys think I can do it? God doesn't care about your good intentions, and he doesn't use, or mine for that matter, and he doesn't use our good intentions to justify sin in our lives. That's not what God looks at the heart means, and this week we're going to talk about what it actually does mean. And so I love that song. Vula, I love what you were praying his empowering presence to change. So we talked about that a little bit last week, that the grace of God is actually enough to empower us to righteous actions and good works. When we get to that place where we're doing the right thing, everybody say today, today. like right now. <laughs> we are gathering together. This would be one of those acts of righteousness. This would be one of those good works. And when God empowers us to that place, then the conversation about God knows the heart and God looks at the heart can actually begin. You good? Okay. All right. Here we go. It can, where we ended last week a little bit was on this thought. I felt the need to tell you guys, the Father's not looking for a reason to disqualify us. He doesn't want to do that. If he wanted to do that, that would have been simple. No cross, no Christ. And we would be altogether disqualified. And so, so the cross, more than anything, proves his desire to qualify us in every way. And so with this conversation of the heart, that is what he's going for. That is what he's looking at. It's not, oh, look at them out there. Let me, let me show them how wretched they are by looking at the heart. And then he's, he's off laughing over in the corner. So just, I know some of us have that imagery in our minds. And so just strip it away. Just lose it. <laughs> Aaron, where are you at? Are you in here? Gosh, I hope I can make it to the end before I share, share your word uh, because where I want to start this morning is think of the idea of open heart surgery, okay, which is in my notes, by the way, Aaron. Open heart surgery, and you and I would look at it. Let's say we had, we had glass and we were looking from the outside in. We would look at it and go, wow, that's tremendous. That's a miracle. I can't even believe that's a possibility. Look at that doctor. Look at the care. Look at the intricacy. Look at the expertise. Look at the wisdom and the insight and the tools and all these things. Look at the team working together. And we would look at that and go, tremendous. I can't believe that a group of medical professionals can open up a chest, do work on the heart, save a life, put it back together again. Right? You guys with me? Now, take a four-year-old and put them in that same position and have them watch open heart surgery. Mommy, they're killing her. <laughs> Enough said? Yeah. 
They don't have the context, y'all. They don't understand what's going on. All they understand is that there's someone who just cut a chest cavity open and then, and then used tools to pry it in that place, and, and now they're in there digging inside of that person. Morbid, mean, monster. That guy, especially the one with the tools in his hand, that guy's a monster through tears. But you and I know the only reason any of that's going on is to save, to heal, to examine what's going on, and to bring life to it. Would you agree? So, so that's part of the reason, y'all. That's part of the message because when we get our eyes trained to what the Lord, our eyes and ears trained to what the Lord is doing when he looks at the heart, when he examines the heart, when he opens up the heart, and when he does surgery on the heart, then we can appreciate that God's there to do one thing, bring abundant life and nothing else. Right? He has no ill intent when he, when he has conversations with us about his heart. And that's exactly how he does it. Turn over to Hebrews 4. <clears throat> you go, all right. So God looks at the heart. God examines the heart. God improves on the heart. How does he do it? He does it with his word. He does it by talking to us. He does it by asking us questions, and he does it by commenting on the state of affairs. Do we have that verse up there? Bless you. Thank you. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Talking about the word of God, 13. There is no creature hidden from, help me. We're talking about the word of God, right? It's sharp, it divides, it pierces, it separates. There's no creature hidden from his sight. It is the word of God, it is spoken, it is a conversation, but it is also the word personified and deified. It is Jesus. It is Jesus Christ who is, who is doing this separation, who's doing this examining, who's doing this healing work. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do you ever feel like the Lord fillets you like a fish? <laughs> yeah? Often. Frank, often. Good. <laughs> it means you're growing. Me too. It's just like, oh, Lord, I just... I feel like my insides are on the outside right now. You just, you've just laid me open. It's this process. It is the word of God piercing, dividing, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, thoughts and intents of the heart. This is what he does. This is, this is, the, this is the, Lord help me. This is the fabric of God looks at the heart, right? And what he does, remember the context righteous action. So right now, when we're gathered together, worshiping the Lord, singing the kinds of songs that we just sang, this is what the Lord's doing. That's all on the surface, and he is dividing, and he is piercing, and he is separating, and he is making comments, and he is asking questions, and he is either validating what is good or identifying what needs to be changed. 
Always, always, always he's doing this work, okay? Now, a couple of the questions, and again, remember open heart surgery. These can seem a little harsh if we take the approach of that four-year-old watching, watching heart surgery. But if we're, if we're more mature, we can see what the Lord's doing. Listen to the questions. This is how he, he lays us open. This is how he, he fillets us, if you will. Adam, where are you? Where are you? In the garden, right? Where you at, Christine? she in here? The Lord's not asking for himself, right? The Lord's asking for us. And, and almost every question, if not every question, that God asks man in the scriptures is not for God. It's for man. It's for self-evaluation. It's for this place where he's laying open the heart. <clears throat> Same thing he said to Elijah when Elijah was in the cave running for his life. Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Can you hear how probing, can you hear how investigative that is in a, a look at his, at his cowardice and the forgetfulness of his God who just slayed 450 prophets of Baal shortly before? What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you guys hear that? This is how he does it. Hagar, where have you come from? Where are you going as she's about ready to watch her baby boy die. He doesn't change. He does the same with you and me, the rich young ruler. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Why do you call me good? If I can add to, by calling me good, are you calling me God? Always. I've kept all these. One thing you lack, go sell it all. Why? Why did he say that? He's probing. He's dividing. He's separating. He's bringing sober judgment because he looks at the heart. All of these, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. The word of God is sharp, powerful, dividing separating. He looks at the heart. That's what he's doing every time. He looks at the disciples in John 6 and says, do you also want to go away? Robert Britt, do you also want to go away? Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Just let me go bury my father. Let the dead bury their own dead. That is bad to the bone, I agree. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Listen, it can seem like he's being hateful. It can seem like he's being rude. Think of that four-year-old. That man's a monster. He's trying to kill her. The Lord is not hateful. The Lord is not rude. He's not manipulative. He's not playing games. He is he is creating an environment where separation can happen within the heart and things can be weighed for the process, for the purpose, rather, of healing, for the purpose of bringing life, for the purpose of stepping into God-given destinies. You good? You see how he does it? It's his word. It's the same with us. So let me go through a couple of things that he weighs. First and foremost, motives. Aren't you excited to talk about this? <laughs> motives. Why'd you come to church this morning? 
I don't know, I didn't have anything better to do. Rainy day, you know. I had something else planned, but. Well, if I show up, then I don't have to hear from, from Barefoot the next time I see him. That's strong. That's real. Man, that one took the wind out of the room, Pastor Alex. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Come back, Lord. <laughs> Motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? I don't know. If I don't come to church, God will be mad at me. He might curse me. That's certainly why I give. Otherwise, I won't be blessed. It hurts every time I do it. It's never joyful, but I sure know it's needed. I'm sold on that. I've not given before. It was a struggle. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going back to that place. Come on, y'all. This is the encouraging week, remember? I'm just kind of getting it all out there early on. Matthew 6, motives matter. I'll never forget. I heard a guy at ORU um, when I was there. That's Oral Roberts University in Tulsa. When I was there, he came into the chapel. His name was Jose Miranda, and he preached on Matthew 6, and motives matter, and it changed my life. I said, man, nobody's, nobody's preaching that. I went up after and, and thanked him. I said, nobody's preaching that. And so, so when, you, when you do a charitable deed, Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 1, when you do a charitable deed, don't, don't be, I don't have this one up there. Sorry, you should have brought a Bible. When you, when you do a charitable deed, I'm just messing with y'all. Don't. Don't do it before men. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be done in secret. Your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say, they have their reward. And then he goes on, when you fast, don't disfigure your face like the hypocrites do. Or as Brock says, where you at, Brock? The hypocrites. Is he in here? Oh, man, I'll have to get it next service. The hypocrites, Brock! is in here the don't disfigure your face so that you can appear to be fasting by men fast to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret he'll reward you openly i'll take opportunity to say thank you for your heart for the secret place brock even though you wouldn't want me to motives matter so oftentimes with 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 what we do y'all is we I'm so grateful for my wife, and, and Vulo, you did it today, but my wife gets up here, and, and when she covers the, the offering, when she prays over the offering, she casts vision, always. Listen, hey, y'all, don't, don't just let it come out of your bank account. You know, thank you for setting up automatic giving. Don't give it no thought. Spend time. Think about it. Recognize that everything comes from him. He is the source of all things. Recognize that it's, it's adoration. It is, it is we honor you. It is you are greater. You are provider. And let your giving express that. Because when we put things on autopilot to include giving or worship or church or serving or these kinds of things, and we're really not thinking about our motives at all, they may not be bad. They're just not really there. I don't know. It's just what we do. 
This is what we do. Proverbs says, without vision, people perish. Right? But the thing is, if you don't have vision, it's kind of neutral, right? You're just there. Without vision, people perish. So what about without motive? Without intentionality? Without being proactive to say, this is why I'm doing this. Do you guys see that? We need that. We need that as much as we need vision. Here's the thing about Matthew 6 that struck me. Once we have righteous action, okay? Once you decided to get out of bed this morning and, and, and come gather with the saints, and the Lord says, don't forsake the assembly. So once you decided to do that, there's only one way the enemy can turn that into a lie. Because the action's true. Do you guys hear that? The action is true. The only way he can make, make it a lie at that point is twist the motive. Come on, y'all. This will help you. Once you have the righteous action, the only way the enemy can make it a lie is twist the motive. Mess with the motive. And so that's what he did. That's what he did with charity. That's what he did with prayer. That's what he did with fasting. He twisted the motive. And the thing is with the father, once any of it's a lie, all of it's a lie. Right? So if anyone's trying to disqualify you, it's the enemy. And me, how? Twisting motives on righteous actions because the father cannot embrace a lie. He will not embrace a lie. He is truth. He is truth. So let me talk to you a moment about reward. He wants you to have it. (laughs) He wants me to have it. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about something interesting. It talks about gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. And talks about our works being that. And, and those, those works are gonna be tested by fire when we see him. And, and those that endure will be the gold, silver, precious stones. The wood, hay, stubble will be burned up and will be saved, but as though by fire. Right? I'll submit this to you. If we'll allow our works to be tested now by fire, they'll survive then right? But if there's no testing now, if we don't embrace that now, if we don't engage this heart conversation now, there's a good chance quite a few of them fail. There's a good chance we hear what the Pharisees heard. You have your reward. Your reward's reward's on the earth, right? We give the Pharisees such a hard time, y'all. I'm I'm convinced of this right here. If I lived during that time, I I probably would have been one of those Pharisees. (laughs) Just being honest, you know? If you do that, you might, you might show them a little compassion. We give them a hard time. But I've already asked you, think about coming to church. Think about giving tithes and offerings. Think about serving. Y'all, serving gets hard. Serving gets tiring, right? Think about, think about getting up in the morning or staying up at night after you've worked all day to get in the word, Think about those things. Think about honoring your spouse, your husband, or your wife. How about honoring the law? How about speeding? Since I'm out there, I'll just get all the way out there. How about that? How about honoring authorities in government? Now, if we're doing those things, there's motives behind every single one of them. 
right? Gentlemen, what was your motive the last time you cleaned the house? Did the dishes. Ha, ha, ha. Deal with him, Lord. Right? That's funny. Were you trying to get something? <laughs> Did you give to get? <laughs> or when she got home, were you just wondering how long it was going to take her to notice that you did it? This is what happens to me when I make the bed, right? I'm like, is she going to notice? Is she going to thank me? Doesn't she see? Come on, this is so real. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. Well, what happened? I didn't do it for the father. I did it for her, right? And really, I did it for me. It's not even about her. It's about me. It's about affirmation, right? We already talked about the pacification piece. How often is pacification your motive? I do this right here because I don't want to hear from that person right there. Come on, y'all. Come on, Lord, we invite you. We invite you. You can, do, you can do surgery because you love us. What about fear? I do this right here because I'm afraid if I don't, this will happen. That's a motivation. So don't be too hard on the Pharisees until you've taken a long, hard look and a continuous look at your own motives and why you do what you do. Now, now here's the thing. When, when we go through Matthew 6, we get, we get down to verse 19, and this is, this is telling. <clears throat> do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does he mean? Why does he say it? Wherever your motive lies, your reward lies in the same place. Get this. This will help you. Right? And so... So if I'm serving to be, to be seen, to be recognized, to, to, get, to get some invitation off in the future, if I'm doing that, I'm doing it to be seen by men. Do you see that? It's pharisaical. Furthermore, if I'm doing that, if you're doing that, to be seen by men, man only has authority to reward on the earth. Come on, y'all. If you're just serving your boss and you're just doing it for your boss, one, because you don't want to hear them, pacification. I'm going to do this. I don't like it. I'm, I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it to shut them up. There's your motive. There's your reward. Or I'm going to do this because I really want this promotion out here. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, beating up on that place as much as it sounds like I am. I'm just saying the word of God, our authoritative text in life. It says, whatever you do, do it, with, do it with all your heart as unto God and not to man. Why? That boss only has authority to reward here on the earth. That's it. You have no reward in heaven. Why? You weren't looking to the heavenly rewarder. This is big. I'm going to let that set for just a second. 
who you look to, where your heart is, where your motive is, that's where your reward will be. Now, flip it around. If you're going to do good work for that boss and honor that boss and serve well and, and, and work your tail off to make that boss look good, but your motive the whole time is father, father, this is for you. I'm going to honor. I'm going to work. I'm going to be seen. I'm going to not be seen. Because honoring authority is your way. If you do that, then you can have reward in heaven and on earth. Why? Because God rewards in both places. He's the only one. Did you guys get it? He wants you to have reward. Wanting to have reward is not selfish. Wanting to have reward is godly. It's aligning yourself with him. The way to do it is don't do it to be seen by men. And when you realize they can only, they can only reward here and now, it loses its appeal. Right? In Mark 10, 29, 30, Jesus says something amazing. They're having a conversation. Peter starts to get nervous that they're not going to be rewarded for all of their sacrifices. And so he says, whoa, 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 whoa. We've left everything. We've left houses and lands and family for you. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus makes this statement. None of you that's left houses and lands and families for me won't receive 100-fold. You don't like the 100-fold thing? Take it up with God. 100-fold in this life now and eternal life in the age to come. He's the rewarder in heaven and on earth. That is good. I agree. Right? Here's the bigger, here's the bigger part of it. John 4, 23, 24. The Father is seeking those to, to worship him, the Father's seeking worshipers. Do we have that scripture? <clears throat> the hour's coming now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking worshipers like this. The motive's twisted. One, we lose the reward. Two, it's not worship. Worship's gotta be true. Worship's gotta be in truth. Right? And worship, as we've been reading, and most of us have, have finished up by now on how to worship King, what, what we're learning about worship is it's broad, it's our life, it's everything. I love what it says in Genesis with, with, with Abraham and Isaac as they were going up the mountain. He was going up the mountain to kill his son. You guys stay over here. The lad and I are going to go over there and worship. No music, no song, no instruments, and no disrespect at all. To our worship team, I love you all. You do an incredible job. But worship is about giving God what he's worth. And he says, you can only do that. You can only enter this place of worship when you're moving in truth, outwardly and inwardly. Because if any of it's a lie, the whole thing's a lie with the Father, right? He's not looking to disqualify that's why he examines. That's why he comments. That's why he asks hard questions. That's why he says, hey, kiddo, your heart's not right here. That's why he says that. So you can change it. And what is not worship and what does not have reward 
can become worship and can gain reward. You guys good so far? Good. Helping? <laughs> Motives matter. Desire. Desire is your, your second thing. God weighs, he examines, he works on our motives. He weighs, he examines, he works on our desire. Brandon, what do you really mean by desire? Your affection, my affection. This is what was happening with the rich young ruler. What do I have to do? All these. I've done them all. One more thing. Go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. And then come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. Why? I've, I've, I've said this to you guys before, but it, it bears repeating. Why? There's no law that, that requires you have to sell everything. But for that man, there was. Why? Why did he come under a requirement that, that so many don't come under? Because of his affection. Do you see that? Because of, his, because of his desire, because of what had his heart, and because God looks at the heart, he will always, always, always be involved in this conversation right here. What has your heart? Brandon? You said it this way one time on the golf course. What makes your heart flutter? Alex? You know, do I? That's what God asked you. This affection, this, this desire this, this being captured and being captivated and being hungry and going after and being in this desperate place. God cares about that. He weighs that. It's all over the word of God. You're not gonna have these up here. I'm just gonna quote them real quick. Second Chronicles 16, nine. He's searching the whole earth. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. Searching for a heart wholly devoted to him so he can show himself strong on that person's behalf, right? Think desire. Psalm 42, the psalmist writes in verse one and two, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do you guys see that? We can't really pretty that up. You know what I mean? You can't really package that and put a neat bow on it. That's just desperate. That's just, I need water. I'm thirsty. I need you. I'm desperate. I'm coming after you. I'm looking high and low. I'm searching. I want you. I want you. Incredibly. God weighs that. He looks for that. When we're serving, when we're going week after week, when we're giving, when we're showing up. When you guys are showing up so early on a Sunday morning to get ready and you're tired and you've been working and all these things, God is weighing, what's your motive, kiddo? Why are you here? Why are you doing this? Who's this about? Is this about me or is this about you? And then he's weighing affections. What do, you, what do you want? What has your heart? What's driving you right now? What are you going after? I will never forget the Lord, the, Lord, the Lord put me in my place. Let me see if I have another scripture for you guys. I have two more. Matthew 5, 6, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. 
Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you? There's no one on the earth I desire besides you. You guys see that? There's no other word you can chalk that up, you know, under than words like passion, desire, hunger, thirst, desperation. But we can show up and like clockwork. And God's going, where's the hunger? Where's the passion? Where's the desperation? Where's the desire? Where's that thing that makes you come alive on the inside? Where's that? You go, Lord, I can't quantify that. I can't calculate that. I can't even produce that. Exactly. Perfect. One more place God calls us that we do not have the ability to go on our own, but with him. We do. With him, he can make that deer pant. He keeps that deer panting its whole life. You hear me? With him. I'm amazed by our need to make God be law to us. I'm going to be vulnerable. Tell you guys about a moment. With me recently. I was sick of feeling like a failure in my time with the Lord. I was just over it. And so I came to him one day and I said, Lord, give me a number. If you've heard this before, sorry. Lord, give me a number. How much time do you want me to spend with you in the mornings? Just tell me and whatever it is, I'll do it. And then I can quit feeling like a failure. Come on, y'all. That's real. It's just where I was. How many people in the room think he gave me a number? Ah, uh, you know why? Because you know God. <laughs> then I thought, how ridiculous would that be if somebody came to me and said, Brandon, how much, how much to fulfill your requirement, how much time do you want me to spend with you? I'd be like, first of all, get away from me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what kind of question is that? And yet, I went to God and I asked that question from a sincere place. You know what he said? What do you want? Desire. He wasn't going to give me a number. He wasn't going to make it law. He wasn't going to have a part of my testimony be, God told me to spend this much time with him. He would not allow it. Father, give me a number. What do you want? I want my life to be uncommon. I want an uncommon walk with you. I want, I want to be an uncommon husband. I want to be an uncommon father. I want to be an uncommon pastor. If you want an uncommon return, make an uncommon investment. Desire. Passion. Desperation. It's not legal. It's not external, not that. That's a matter of the heart. He, he, will not, he will not allow it to become law to us. I want to read you guys something out of a book that I would highly recommend. It's by K.P. Yohannan, and it's Touching Godliness Through Submission. And he's talking about the difference between obedience and submission.
Thank you, Lord. Maybe you have noticed that I use two words here. One is submission. The other is obedience. As I'm sure you can tell, there's a difference in meaning. Submission is a heart attitude toward authority, whereas obedience is an action. Obedience can take place through external force or requirement. If you've been in the military, you know that. Let me read that again. Obedience can take place through external force or requirement. In the case of submission, however, it is a deliberate choice by the subordinate to surrender to the one who is in authority over him or her. When we submit, we will be obedient. But just because we are obedient does not mean that we have truly submitted to authority. One more time. When we submit, we will be obedient. But just because we are obedient does not mean that we have truly submitted to authority. This submission to authority is what the Lord desires in all of us. Even so, he leaves us with the choice. Desire. I wanted a law. He wanted a chase. Come on, y'all. There is incredible opportunity for freedom in this word today to make it about chasing again. Right motives, thinking, being intentional. Lord, this is why I'm here. This is why I got up this morning. This is why I walked through those doors. This is why I'm engaging this person. This is why I'm serving my wife. This is why I'm honoring my pastor. This is why I'm submitting to my boss. This is why. Next time you open the word, verbalize why. It'll change your life. And then, this realization. I want to be here. You know why I'm preaching this morning? I want to. I want to. You know why I'm a part of this body? I want to. I want to be. You know why I serve? I want to. And you guys too. We just lose sight of it sometimes. You know, we have to remind ourselves of it. You know why you work where you want to where you where you work? You want to. You can go, oh, no, 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 Brennan. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you want to. And so when we can convince ourselves that we're in this place and we're trapped right there, then we can be miserable right there. Then we can have an attitude right there. Then we can buck right there and we can be miserable and we can disfigure our faces. Right? We can be depressed. But you cannot stay in that place when you hold yourself accountable to, I am here doing what I'm doing because I want to. That'll change things right there, right? Look, Lord, a whole room of people that are here because they want to be here. That's why it says, don't do things grudgingly or of necessity. 
Because it's different to be here because you need to be here and because you want to be here. So the Lord weighs motives and the Lord weighs desire. And then the Lord weighs this. He weighs joy. Oh, like, Lord, come on. Yeah, he weighs joy. Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with No, 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 like serving God's got to be enough, right? No. Serve the Lord with gladness. I just touched on 1 Corinthians 9, I think it's 6 and 7, or somewhere in there, right? Don't, don't, Don't give grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. Does God just love a giver, every giver? Every giver? Come on. No. He loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Why does he challenge us so much in that place? Here's another one for you. 1 John 5, 3. Those who love God keep his commandments, and his commandments are not? Golly, thank you, Lord, for a group of people that knows the word of God. Was it up there? Did you guys cheat? No. No. All right. Yeah. His commandments aren't burdensome. Serve with gladness. Give with cheer. Follow his commandments, but don't let them be a burden. Right, listen, y'all, I know this is a real place. You go, all right, Brandon, well, what if I just don't have the joy? And what if they are a burden? I mean, let's get real. You know, I'm doing the best I can here. Trying to keep my motives pure. But it's a burden. You know why it's a burden? Because it needs to become more of who you are and less of what you do. You know why it's a burden to me? Because it's not a part of the fabric of who I am yet. Think about the things that bring you joy. This is why the Lord weighs your joy, because it identifies what's really a part of you and what's just a mold that you're trying to fit in. That's why I hold you and I accountable to joy, because the things that are a part of us, we got no problem with joy. Tell me to go play golf. See if I'll have a hard time having fun and smiling. Why? It's a part of me. What about giving? What about serving? What about sacrificing? What about opening up the word of God with right motives? Is that a part of me? Does that bring me joy? This is not a condemning message. Don't be condemned right here. If it's not, just go, all right, Lord, here we go. Time for you to do what you do. Time for you to write write your laws and your ways on my heart and my mind. Time for you to pull that heart of stone out and replace it with a heart of flesh. Time for even more of becoming a partaker of the divine nature. Time for me to delight myself in you and you to give me the desires of my heart. Not just grant me, give me. You place them there. You put them there. As I choose to delight myself in you, Your desires become my desires. And when they become a part of me, it's not work anymore. That's That's the place where it's not a burden. That's how we do it. That's how we move there. That's why God's weighing us and he's examining and he's molding and he's shaping and he's going, I don't just want this to be what you do. I want this to be your identity. I don't just want you to do what I say. I want you to love my way right? That's why he weighs. That's why he examines. This is what God knows the heart looks like. I know we're pressed for time. I'm going to cover the rest in five minutes somehow.
Well, I think one of the reasons the Lord cares so much about this conversation, why he treasures it to such a degree, why he's always talking to us about it. Secret place. See, I'm serving the Lord right now. There's no way for me to make it a secret. I'm in front of all of you, <laughs> right? When I get up in the morning, my kids see me in the word, and I want them to, right? The Lord knows my heart right there. But there's only so many places I can go. There's only so much effort I can, I can make to, to keep my righteous acts a secret, and you too. But there's a place where we don't fight that battle at all. You can't see there. That's for him and me. You hear me, church? I can't see there. I can see what you do. We can all see what you do. But that desire, that joy, those motives, that's sacred space. That's created for his eyes only. By design, it's consecrated. You and him. That's why he so desires to move in that place, mold in that place, work in that place, speak in that place. Because that, that's you and him. There's a way that my kids know me that you don't know me. There's a way that my wife knows me that you don't know me, and my kids don't even know me. That's ours. That's private. That's how the Lord looks at the heart. That's how the Lord sees that heart space. Good. Stand with me. Aaron. Aaron had a word this morning. I'm going to share it. We'll pray. The word was this. He saw a huge wave getting ready to crash over us, and many of us thought it was destructive. Kind of like that heart surgery. But what he realized is almost like a picture, picture a person shot with a shotgun. What he realized was there was foreign objects on the inside of us. And God wanted to do a healing work. But we have to let that wave crash and wash and remove those things in our hearts that keep allowing the infection to come back. Father, in the name of Jesus, search. It's your space. It's holy. This heart. We invite you to do surgery. I don't, I don't know what all that looks like. It's none of my business. But we know this, you're, you're the great physician. You're kind. You're not looking to abuse. You're not looking to, to do harm. 
You're trustworthy. And God, we've got things on the inside of us. And they're foreign. And they're in there. And we hold on for some strange reason. And we just invite you in, Father. We invite your love to wash over us. We invite this wave. Will you lift your hands with me? We, we invite this wave, God, to wash over us, to crash on the inside of us and to wash us clean and to make us new, God. And everything that's in your space that doesn't have right to be there, everything that doesn't have authority to be there, wash it away. Wash it away. You can weigh us. You can examine us. You can heal us. We say yes. We just say yes to the Lord. Thank you for being a God who looks at the heart. We choose to be people who give it the same attention because we want intimacy with the only one who sees it. Yeah, go ahead, my